WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about the connection between anxiety and physical pain. If you've experienced chronic pain, you may already know the anxiety that can come with it. The pain itself can make you feel anxious. But anxiety untreated can also show up as musculoskeletal pain, and all too often we attempt to treat the headache or the lower back pain without recognizing the underlying anxiety. If you've struggled with both physical pain and anxiety or know someone who does, you are in the right place. Our guest, Dr. Joshua Blum, is a Geisinger psychiatrist who works primarily with young adults, including college students, at Bucknell and Susquehanna Universities. He is also a husband, a parent, a podcast host, and a novelist, and he joins us with some help and hope for those of us who struggle with anxiety and the pain that can come with it. Dr. Blum, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So it makes sense that pain in your body could lead to anxiety or even depression, especially if the pain is chronic. But the surprising thing is that it can work both ways, that anxiety can lead to pain. Can you explain that connection? Sure. So typically what happens is that, you know, our bodies are designed for self-protection and our bodies know a couple of different ways of dealing with something that is stressful and our nervous systems are constantly on the lookout for things in the environment and they may, they may potentially be stressful. And so anxiety is just basically like pain. Uh, it's a warning system. It tells you that something is potentially wrong. And when that, when your body senses that, when your nervous system senses that, it will do things to protect you. And usually that's doing things like tensing up certain parts of your body that are vulnerable. So if you think about parts that are life-sustaining, your body really wants to protect your head, your spine, your internal organs. And so it'll tend to brace those parts that are vulnerable in attempt to protect them. So you're gonna lock down your jaw, right? If you get hit in the face, you don't want that jaw broken. If you get hit in the head, you don't want your head spinning around. If you get hit in um, your uh, in your torso, you, know, you want to protect those internal organs. So you think about the stereotypical fetal position that people may fall into or want to curl into. We tend to round out our backs, you know, uh, bringing those broad, big, broad muscles of our backs to to bear. Um, we tuck in our head and we pull our knees to our chest. And so those are the muscles that will typically tense up when we're stressed. Um, and it may happen in, uh, it's a totally unconscious thing that typically happens. People will still typically do it, uh, even if there isn't 
necessarily a physical threat there. I mean, our body doesn't really know the difference. It just senses that there's something wrong and it does something to protect us. And so when those muscles tighten up, they may stay tight and eventually they get cranky. And cranky muscles um, are more prone to injury and they will lead to pain over time. So it sounds like, you know, it can show up as a headache. It can show up as lower back pain. It can show up as all kinds of muscular pain that we might not immediately, at least, associate with anxiety. Sure. So there's a... If you, if you look into the, the way the body's organized, um, it does make a kind of sense. We have this um, nerve that starts in our brain and runs throughout our enti- most of our body. It's called the, the, the vagus nerve. And it kind of is like a, a temperature gauge in some ways for the body. And it will control kind of nervous system tone, so to speak. So uh, if it senses that there is uh, a stressful kind of environment, it'll do things to prepare your body for that, which is increasing heart rate and blood pressure and all those kinds of things like that. Um, one of the things that it does is that it runs right through the center of your body and right where your diaphragm is, uh, it, it kind of runs right through there. Now, typically when people are stressed, they take shorter, more shallow breaths. You know, we breathe more quickly. and this nerve runs right through there. Have you ever seen like a piece of chicken or something like that? There's a coating around it. Have you ever seen that? It's sort of like a filmy coating around. Yeah. And that's called fascia. And that's like the coating, uh, like shrink wrap, shrimp, shrink wrap, almost like of around muscles. And that fascia, uh, is, uh, with the diaphragm and a big, uh, muscle in your hip flexors called the iliopsoas, and it shares that same fascia, and the vagus nerve right, runs right through the middle of that. So when you're breathing more quickly, um, that nerve will pick that up, and um, it will start to do things to prepare your body. One of which is also tensing up that particular muscle, and that's the muscle group that tends to pull your knees into your chest. And when that happens, uh, that tends to pull down on your lower spine. And, you know, your body doesn't like that. Your, your spine is like a tension bridge, you know, so where there's a stress one way, it's going to try to oppose it uh, to try to main some, maintain some equilibrium. So your lower back will pull back uh, more. Um, uh, so it, it kind of is a tug of war in a way, and you tend to experience that as pain. Now that can be definitely exacerbated by sitting. So those hip flexors are the same muscle groups that are tensed up naturally when we're sitting down. And I think people often will notice, I mean, one of the things that sometimes you can do to clue people in is to notice, is to get them to just be observers of their own body and to see, does this correlate in some way to when you are feeling stressed, for example? You know, does it make any difference the position that your body's in? Getting them to notice these things about things like their posture, environmental stresses, um, the, their sleeping surface, those kind of things like that, it just helps them kind of piece some things together. Um, and I think that probably is the, uh, will, will give them some clues because sometimes people will be able to say very clearly like, oh, I know that whenever I'm more stressed, I grind my teeth more. Or um, whenever I'm more stressed, you know, I notice my, my shoulders hurt more. But not everybody's necessarily aware of that. And I think cluing in that it could be a possibility that these things might be connected is just a 
a great place to start for a lot of folks. And you work with a number of college students. I'm wondering if you're seeing a lot of anxiety in that population and what it looks like. Yeah, so I would say, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, um, that has just gone through the roof. But I think that there's, um, it was already on, on the rise, uh, a lot of these mental health issues beforehand. And I think the last couple of years have just, you know, with the pandemic and many things going on socially in the world, it has just sort of highlighted stuff that was already there. Um, I would say, you know, around this time of year, actually, um, holidays are stressful for many different reasons. It's also the end of the semester. So many students are spending a lot of time hunched over a desk, hunched over a computer. They're studying. Uh, they may not be eating um, you know, consistently, they may not be getting enough sleep, uh, and they're often stressed. And so, um, often, and this is how I got interested in this topic really was that I noticed that midterms and finals, people would be coming in and they would be hurting all over, Mm. you know, their backs, their shoulders, their necks. Um, and, and they couldn't necessarily, there wasn't injuries or things like that, that they had had, um, if they had had pre-existing injuries, uh, they they tended to notice that those things were worse, but and then it tended to get better uh, when they weren't under that same level of stress, and it kind of would ebb and flow uh, with the stresses they were having, you know, in the semester. And so the answer is, yeah, I think that you know sometimes we think of things like back pain and these kind of things as something that young people do not experience, but. Uh, um, I mean, it really could be, you know, any age, really. I want to go back to something that you mentioned just a few minutes ago about, you know, genuine pain that people feel, even if it may be psychological in its origin. And I think that, you know, there is this tendency that we have to think that, well, maybe it's all in our head, right? If it's connected to anxiety, that the pain is all in our head. And, And I'd like you to talk about that. Is this real pain that we're talking about, like the people are actually feeling and not just in their heads. But it's the answer is it's both, right? Because it's coming from um, a, uh, a, a mental source, but then it's often exacerbated by physical things, the position of the body that you happen to be holding yourself in, for example. You know, how many people have sedentary jobs primarily, you know, where they spend a lot of their time, you know, at a desk, right? Right. And then at the end of the day, you know, you feel that. I, I know I certainly, I certainly did. Um, I, I, for example, I, I often will tell the students, if I'm seeing them in person, they'll notice that I'm standing uh, while I'm seeing them. I don't sit anymore and because I noticed that after, you know, eight to 10 plus hours or whatever of sitting in a chair, I felt, you know, I feel like I aged 20 years <laughs> at the end of the day. And... But uh, it happens. So the answer is both. I mean, it's an interplay between uh, the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system. Even though we tend to divide them up as being totally separate, they are connected. For sure. Well, we have much more to talk about on this topic of anxiety and physical musculoskeletal pain with Dr. Joshua Blum. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. Sleep is essential to our health and well-being. The National Institutes of Health estimates about one-third of people have trouble sleeping, with 5 to 10% of people being diagnosed with a sleep disorder. The most common sleep disorder is insomnia, where a person has difficulty either falling or staying asleep, which interferes with daytime activities. 
Cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a first-line treatment performed by a clinical psychologist. Most people can experience positive outcomes within several sessions. We all have trouble sleeping sometimes, but if it is persistent, you should talk to your doctor. The good news is that insomnia is treatable. Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mindovermatter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. And you are listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matasak, and we're talking with Dr. Joshua Blum, who is a Geisinger psychiatrist. He works primarily with young adults in the college student age population, but we're talking about anxiety and physical pain and the connection between the two and how it's easy to understand how someone who deals with a lot of pain can begin to feel anxiety about it, but the fact is it works both ways and sometimes anxiety can lead to pain because of the way we're tensing our muscles and so forth. Um, Dr. Blum, I do want to talk a little bit about chronic pain. Um, people who live with chronic pain, they've got some sort of physical health condition, whether it's an injury or a disease, and over time may find that they're feeling more anxious or maybe even beginning to feel depression creeping in just from living with pain all the time. How do you help people in that position to cope? So I think the first thing is just figuring out what is the most limiting thing right now. And, and this is something I always ask uh, folks at some point, what do you think would make the biggest difference in your quality of life right now? Because that may be different than a year ago. It may be different from a year from now. But if right now, what do you think would make the biggest difference? And so that, that may not necessarily align with my goals always or my assessment. But, you know, uh, I think it's part of my job to kind of make sure that they're just aware of the different options and then to try to meet them wherever they're at, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and speaking of options, let's talk about how you help your patients um, through these kinds of issues, because you are, as you said, it's, you know, it's, it's both and in many cases, right? You've got pain and you've got anxiety in these, in these cases. And sure. what kinds of treatment options are available who, for someone who is struggling with both of these things? Sure. I, I would say, you know, for anybody that goes to see um, someone in mental health, uh, there's lots of different folks that work in the arena, but probably the most important thing is one, finding someone that you're comfortable with. And particularly in mental health, People are complicated, uh, and it's sort of um, maybe uh, disrespectful or maybe arrogant or whatever to think that you can sort of whittle it down into uh, just a short amount of time to figure out what's going on. And so I think um, someone who's willing to take some time, it may not all be in one session, but over the course of time to work with you to try to figure out, okay, what is going on ultimately, because sometimes it may not necessarily be surface level sort of stuff. So that, that's one thing. But I would say um, the other piece is that, you know, um, you have to pay attention to your, your body's response as well. And so there's lots of little things that you may be able to do in your day-to-day -day life that may help to change your situation. And so I always talk with people about physical activity. I hesitate sometimes to use the word exercise because that has a lot of connotations uh, for various people. Many, many people that I see will avoid going to the gym for lots of different reasons. 
but they do like physical movement. And I think it's really physical movement that is probably the most important thing. What about just things like distractions? In other words, diverting your attention away from the pain, the thing that is, you know, bothering you in the moment. Do you find, for example, with your patients that maybe when they're distracted from the source of anxiety, that the pain tends to be reduced as well? 100%, yeah. I think for many, many people, they notice that things are are worse at times when they have less going on. So um, for better or for worse, uh, when students, for example, I use the example of students because that's primarily who I see, but when students, for example, are out on break, you know, we often think of, think of breaks as like, or at least, you know, we want to think of breaks as a happy time, you know, but it's not necessarily always that way for all people. There's less structure, uh, there may be less to do, and for some people that means that their minds kind of spin more and they find it actually more stressful. So um, I think part of it is is staying busy. You know, um, one of the things I always talk to, to students about uh, before they leave for a break, particularly a long one like a winter break or summer break is, you know, how do you want to use that time? Do you want to, um, you know, first of all, like, are, are you somebody that tends to do better with a little bit more structure, with more things to do? And if so, like, is there a way to use that time more intentionally so that by the end of it, you feel like, you know, actually, I did things that I wanted to do. I actually found that restful or productive or whatever is important to them. Uh, because sometimes the time will go by very, very quickly without, uh, uh, it just feels like it slips away. And so I think um, when people have feel like they have more control over it, where they where they feel like they have an active part in it, um, it doesn't necessarily make the pain go away, but it sometimes can make it so it, we are less functionally limited by it. Yeah, it sounds like a good preventative measure, right? Thinking ahead and deciding whether you need structure or, or how you will feel your best during those stretches of time. And I'm thinking about some other preventative measures and want to know what you think about them. For instance, mindfulness. There's a lot of talk mm-hmm. about that these days. Um, how effective do you find that to be with reducing anxiety? I, I personally like it. I, I uh, you know, it's something I talk about with all folks. I think, like anything, it's one of those things that's not a one-size-fits-all kind of uh kind of technique. It's a tool. You know, all these things are just tools. They're tools in a tool bag, and some are going to work for some people, and um, uh, others will not work. Um, I think when we talk about um, things like mindfulness and meditation, the idea is whatever route you use to get into that state of clarity, um, inner peace, whatever you want to call it, the route doesn't really matter. So for some people, they will find that you know, sitting and just tuning into their surroundings uh, works fine. Uh, you know, some people they're sitting in a lotus position and saying, "Om, great." Um, for some people, they're not actually able to do that, uh, but they find that they can get into that state through doing something else. They may be walking, they may be washing dishes, they may be doing something else that um, allows them to disengage in some way. And so that's really a personal kind of thing. And so, you know. I think sometimes we um, we do folks a disservice by sort of pounding on certain things, saying you have to do this. Um, it I think it could be helpful, but I think just letting people know that it is one of many options. If it doesn't work for you, great. 
you tried it, uh, maybe at some point it will work for you. It, now is maybe not the right time. So put it aside, you know, and move on to something else. Yeah, it sounds like it's important to keep an open mind, right? Recognizing that what works for one person may not work for another. And sometimes you have to maybe try a couple of things to see what's totally. sort of the sweet spot for you. Sure. Finally, Dr. Bloom, can you talk a little bit about um, any words of encouragement that you might have or resources that you can recommend for those of us who struggle with anxiety, who often feel the pain that comes with it, um, you know, words to leave us with where um, we can either get some help or some encouragement in a practical way? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, we sometimes think about anxiety as a negative thing. Um, sometimes people are shamed for, for feeling anxious about stuff. Anxiety is just your body telling you that there is something potentially wrong. And I think often those of us who have been through hard things might be a little bit sooner to come to that conclusion just because, again, it's a protective thing. So it's not necessarily something to be feared. Uh, I think often when people start to understand where that anxiety comes from, that they paradoxically feel more comfortable with it. You know, as people, we just tend, all living organisms, I think probably to some degree, we tend to avoid things that are uncomfortable. We, mm -hmm. You know, pain, pain, is, pain is not fun. It ruins your day. And so the same with any other kind of discomfort. And so sometimes when we understand better what may be causing it, we now have a vocabulary to describe it. And we, that gives us a... It makes it real in the world and it allows us to say like, okay, this is where things are right now. Um, is there anything I can do to change it? And for some people, actually, there may not be anything that they might be able to do, but even just understanding uh, where it comes from uh, will, will be helpful. Um, I think not everybody is necessarily ready uh, to make those changes and it's a little bit different for every person. So I would say um, for the folks that are struggling with, with uh, uh, either anxiety or pain, I mean, we're all probably there at some point in our lives. Uh, and so I think recognizing that it is a natural thing um, and it is something that everybody to some degree deals with. And I think to have some, I think, compassion for other people who might be going through that because you never know, right? You don't know what they've been through. And so I think being open to that, I think being, um, you know, mindful, I guess, of that, I think, you know, can be helpful, particularly, I think, at a time of the year where, I mean, depending on when this comes out, you know, holidays are tough, uh, I would say. Uh, but I think major big things can be tough in the same way. Yeah, well, a little compassion and grace for ourselves and others can go a long, long way for sure. Dr. Joshua Blum is a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Geisinger. And Dr. Blum, thank you so much for making the time to have this important conversation with us. Oh, thank you. I'm Tracy Matisak. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. 
Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. I was afraid I would die in my sleep, hearing voices, just feeling not well. I had a year where I was hospitalized nine times. A number of overdose, a couple arrests, having to drop out of graduate school, and of course, some really damaged relationships. I have a similar story. Um, I also lost my mom very suddenly to a heart attack when I was in my 20s, and it just blew up my life. And I think the worst part for me was the suddenness of it. You know, loss of any kind is difficult, but there's just something about not seeing it coming that seems to make it especially hard. Just came out of nowhere. Hello, I'm Tracy Matisak, host of the brand new Mind Over Matter podcast series. Each week, we'll talk to leading experts who will provide helpful information on a variety of mental health disorders, including anxiety, depression, grief, and substance use. Most of my patients with anxiety also have some symptoms of depression and vice versa. We can see very positive changes and all of those symptoms decrease. Don't miss an episode of the Mind Over Matter podcast. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more, visit wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger.